Open your Bibles now for the reading of God's Word as we look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. We've been working our way through Philippians uh, as uh, occasion has uh, provided it. Uh, in between times when uh, Dr. McKelvey has been preaching, uh, just, he just finished Isaiah 53. What a, a feast that was for us uh, spiritually to uh, look into that wonderful chapter uh, in depth. Now we're going to continue our examination of Philippians. And by the way, we're going to finish Philippians over the next couple of Sundays, uh, two more times after today, Lord willing. Uh, so uh, we want to wrap this up here in the next few weeks. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Let us listen carefully to the word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Many people go through the holidays and into the new year short on peace and long on anxiety. Anxiety or worry, if you will. Worry is something every one of us continues to battle with, is it not? The word anxiety actually literally means to be divided. And that's what worry does to us. It divides us. We, we as Christians especially, we know we should trust in the Lord. And yet there's these situations that we're dealing with. And we struggle with that. Uh, it's a, an ongoing thing. Now, I don't know of anybody that's got a complete victory over that. Uh, but we can have a victory over it day in and day out with the grace and the help of God. The world, of course, offers other answers for how to deal with our anxiety. Our secular experts uh, are always giving us their advice, and usually it's a mixed bag. Some of what they say, of course, is true, but you have to be careful. For instance, uh, not too long ago, there was a newspaper article by psychologist Dr. Mike Rouncesvale, in which he says this, dealing with anxiety, he says, quote, you've got this. You can't control the outcome, but you can do your best to execute a healthy process. Your best effort is all you've got. I don't know about you, but that was depressing. My best effort ain't too great sometimes. But that's what he says. That's all you've got. 
Now, there was a story about a man named Joe, not Job, Joe, who was a continuous chronic worrier. Every time somebody saw him, they were afraid to say, how are you doing, Joe? Because they knew they were going to get a negative answer. You know, I'm just, I don't know what I'm going to do. Just, oh, this is just terrible. I'm just, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. And on and on he went. And one day he ran into one of his friends who saw Joe bouncing around with a big smile on his face and, and happy as he could be. And he said, Joe, what's gotten into you? This is not like you. He said, oh, I dealt with my anxiety, my worry. I've gotten a, I've gotten a way to, to overcome that. And his friend said, well, I'd like to know what that is. What did you do? He said, well, I hired somebody to do all my worrying for me. And his friend said, you did? Well, how in the world is that working? And, and how much is that costing? He said, oh, I'm paying him $1,000 a week. What? <laughs> how in the world can you pay this man $1,000 a week to do all your worrying for you? And he said, I don't know. That's his worry. I tell you, I don't know how effective that would have been. I'm glad I don't have $1,000 a week to pay somebody to do that. That probably would not be successful. Or you could take the approach of Bobby McFerrin, who rather famously in the music world a number of years ago sang that little ditty, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And actually that there was some, some substance to that song. It sounds sort of shallow and in some ways of course it is but he talked about the hardships that people would go through he said ain't got no place to lay your head somebody came and took your bed don't worry be happy and then he's saying the landlord said your rent is late he may have to litigate don't worry be happy ain't got no cash ain't got no style Ain't got no girl to make you smile. Don't worry. Be happy. Yes, we are not supposed to worry. We are supposed to be happy. Paul is telling us that right here. He says, rejoice in the Lord. That's the Christian version of be happy. And he said, don't be anxious. Don't worry. But what Paul tells us digs down into the heart of what Christ provides you and me as we struggle, not only with, with being joyful in all kinds of situations, but also of overcoming anxiety. The Christians in Philippi had plenty of reasons to worry. After all, they were Christians living under the thumb of the domineering Roman empire with the emperor at the top persecution beginning to creep into christians lives and it would get even worse uh, in the decades to come after philippians was written and so they were having to deal these philippian christians were having to deal with hostility pushback for their profession of their faith in christ it was costing them financially also. And not only that, but they were worried about the dear man that 
planted the church in Philippi. The Apostle Paul. Remember, Paul was writing this letter from a Roman jail under house arrest, not able to go out and freely travel and preach God's word and plant more churches. And yet Paul is talking to the Philippians over and over about joy. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, presents a compact package of divine wisdom for a joyful life delivered to us by the Apostle Paul, a joyful life in the real world, not fairy tales, a real world joyful life. Well, how does this come about? Well, notice that there are some prerequisites to this, some things that need to be ongoing in our lives so that we can truly heed the counsel that Paul gives us about anxiety. And he begins that prerequisite by telling us to be joyful. Now that should not be news to us who have been looking at the book of Philippians because that is the major theme of this book. Joy in Christ. Joy in a fallen, tough world. Look, you and I are dealing with hard times right now. Some of those who are our older members can think, well, yes, they're tough, but there's been some tough times in America in the last hundred years. There have always been tough times. But for us, living as we do right now at the end of 2021, and I'm trying to get those years straight, about to jump into 2022, think of the things, don't think too much about it, but think of the things that we're dealing with. You've got your own set of personal challenges, right? Health, finances, relationships. None of those are perfect, are they? And there come times when some of those hit us pretty hard, and sometimes it seems like they're all hitting us at the same time pretty hard. On top of that, we've got an economy that's uh, very, very uh, iffy right now, and it's beginning to be harder to make those, stretch those dollars out to get what you need because of inflation. We've got uh, sickness. We've got this virus that has come back again in another version and is challenging us there. And we're having to make all these adjustments. And then we've got uh, our, our, our nation's problems, not only with the economy, but with things like uh, moral issues. Uh, who can you trust anymore in government and in other ways? We've got uh, the uh, issues of uh, people coming into our country illegally. You know, I could spend the rest of our time talking about those things. I don't want to do that. I just want to remind you that Paul is telling us something here that's designed to help us now. Not that we will be free of all problems, as we'll see, but 
the help will be substantial and sufficient. Be joyful. You remember back in chapter three, verse one, he said the same thing. We joked a little bit to ourselves about how Paul said, finally, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And here he says it and repeats it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not just when it's Christmas, not just when everything's going along fairly well, always. Like when Paul said in Thessalonians, give thanks in everything. He's saying the same thing about be joyful in everything. There is a reason why we can be joyful in everything. All right? These, this joy is not based on emotions. <clears throat> it has emotional elements to it, of course, but it's not based on that. He says rejoice in the Lord. That's so easy to skip over. Well, of course, you say rejoice in the Lord. That sounds real spiritual. It's just plain real. You can rejoice because you are in the Lord. You are in Christ Jesus. You are united to him by faith in him. And you are joined at the hip, as we would say, spiritually. And all of, of who Christ is for us is ours. He's dealt with our sin on the cross. He's conquered death for us. In the ultimate sense, what do we have to worry about? And so in the Lord means a lot. If you know Jesus Christ and you are, you are relying on him alone as the one who paid for your guilt, your sin, and who has provided you a perfect righteous standing before God himself, you aren't condemned any longer. You have this new life in Christ. You're a new creation. And all of God's promises are yours to live by. And you will never be disappointed in those. And then he says, be gentle. Be joyful and be gentle. Or as the word is translated here in the ESV, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness. It just means being gentle, being thoughtful, being uh, concerned about others and caring for them and being one who is not quick to jump on somebody, you know, and, and talk about how wrong they are or complain to them about things you don't like about them. Gracious. That's what he's talking about here. And remember, he says that in the light of the first three verses of this chapter, where he talked about two ladies in the church that weren't getting along. It's a way of him saying here, don't be like that. Don't be like that. There's a right way to disagree with someone and of course, uh, not a wrong way. We need to do things with meekness and grace and gentleness in our behavior. That will, that will be a, a preparation for us to be able to rejoice and to deal with our anxieties. And then he says, be hopeful. <clears throat> the Lord is at hand. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now that could mean two things. Sometimes it's used as a reference to the imminent return of Christ. And remember that imminent doesn't mean immediately so much as it means certainly. Not the same thing to say imminent that means, oh, Jesus is coming back today. Well, only Jesus knows that. Only the Lord knows that. We don't know that. But it could be. It could be today. But what he's saying here, I think, is more likely uh, to say the Lord is at hand means that Lord's with you. The Lord's right there with you. As I talk to you about these things, remember that you are not alone. You've got God and his love for you and his desire to shower upon you all that you truly need. He's right there. He knows. He knows you. He knows your situation. And he is not going to forsake you. He himself has promised that, right? Be hopeful. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near is another way of saying it. The Lord is near. Remember the psalmist said, the Lord is near to all the brokenhearted, to all who are crushed in spirit. In Psalm 34, and then in Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. He's near. If you call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth, call upon him in sincerity. John Calvin, I think, gave a wonderful explanation of this that's so helpful to me, I hope it's helpful to you. I want to, to read it to you. Please listen very carefully. This is the only remedy, this, the Lord being at hand, this is the only remedy for tranquilizing our souls when we repose unreservedly in his providential care, knowing that we are not exposed either to the rashness of fortune or to the caprice of the wicked, but are under the regulation of his fatherly care. I think I'll repeat that. That's, that's better than anything else I'm going to be able to say. This is the only remedy for tranquilizing our souls, excuse me, tranquilizing our minds. When we repose unreservedly in his providential care, knowing that we are not exposed either to the rashness of, the, of fortune or to the caprice of the wicked, but are under the regulation of his fatherly care. How are you doing with these, what I'm calling prerequisites? Be joyful, be gentle, be hopeful. Those are things we all probably could do some work on, right? We can focus on those. This is, this is what the Lord is, this is the way the Lord wants us to be living. And I need to make sure that I'm really making the, the effort and working towards developing these things in my life. Second thing he says here is we need prayer. The prerequisites are followed by prayer. And so he says in verse uh, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
Let your requests be made known to God. Prayer is the antidote to anxiety. The antidote to anxiety. There is a direct link between prayer and the reduction, the lessening of anxiety in the issues that we deal with in our lives. And you may recall that this is the same thing that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to remember very carefully how Jesus dealt with anxiety. He dealt with it by instructing his disciples in Matthew 6 on prayer. He gave to them the model prayer, which we used a few moments ago, the Lord's Prayer. And then a little later in that same chapter in Matthew 6, three times he says, do not be anxious. Prayer, do not be anxious. And you remember, this is what he said. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Let's, it's like, let's see those hands. How is your worry about tomorrow and, and living a little longer? How, you know, how's that going? Can you, can you succeed in that by your worry? No. It was an obvious answer to that. He goes on and says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is cast into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow or tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That instruction from the lips of Christ himself feeds right into what Paul is saying here. I, I rather suspect Paul was thinking of those very words from Christ when he tells us, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, we can sit here and say, well, that's easy to say. Sure it is. And sometimes we're going to be anxious about anything, but we need to see what 
what our aim should be. I need to realize that I have no reason to be anxious because of my relationship to Jesus Christ, because I am in the Lord, I am in Christ. So how do we, how do we work this out with the idea of prayer and anxiety? I said prayer is the antidote to anxiety. Peter said, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. C. John Miller was uh, a wonderful Presbyterian minister who died a few years ago. And he said, before I became a Christian, I used to subscribe to the theory, why pray when you can worry? And I think that's the way a lot of us, in terms of how we really function, that's what we do a lot of times. We spend a lot more time worrying than we do praying. We need to turn that around, don't we? Somebody said worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you very far. Worry is very unproductive, isn't it? Hasn't changed a thing. And so Paul says, I want to tell you how you need to pray. You know, he doesn't just say pray. He gives you some details about prayer here. Comprehensive prayer. He uses four different terms here to describe the ways that we pray. And the first one is just, not just, it is a general term, a comprehensive term for all prayer in general. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. That's the general term. Coming to God in prayer. And then he says, with supplication. But in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication means a humble cry concerning our needs. Bringing those before God. Paul used the same term in chapter 1 verse 19 supplication, when he said this, I know that through your prayers, doesn't come through as supplication, but through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Your supplications is the word he really is using there. And it's the same word used to describe Jesus in Hebrews 5, 7, when he talks about how Jesus came before the Lord, more than likely he's referring to when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, and it says that he cried aloud in prayer to the Lord. And we know what his prayer was. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus himself is praying this way. And then he uses the third word, thanksgiving. Prayer with thanksgiving. When we are worrying about something, it's, it takes a little more effort, doesn't it, to, to be thankful? But if you stop and consider the blessings God has given you, even in your hard situations, that will have the effect of warming your heart and your soul as you realize this is a real problem, but also got all these blessings. And that keeps me from being so complaining. It keeps me from forgetting the past blessings I've already received. It keeps me from 
failing to remember the future promises that God has in store for me. Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator and Puritan preacher, was robbed one time. And he wrote down the fact that he was thankful. And he said, why? He listed several things, but a couple of them I think of in particular. He says, I thank you that he took my wallet and not my life. I'm thankful that he didn't take much because I didn't have much. And then he said this, he said, I'm thankful that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. We can give thanks in everything when we look at it from God's perspective. When we look at it remembering the sovereignty of God and his providence in our lives. Prayer and anxiety are mutually exclusive. One needs to push away the other in the control of our hearts and our minds. And we know which that is. Prayer needs to shove anxiety out the door of our hearts and our minds. One scholar said anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. More opposed than fire and water. And so as we focus on dealing with our anxiety the way God tells us to, by prayer, by rejoicing, then anxiety is not going to haunt us and control us. It's not that we'll never be anxious again, but we'll be able to manage it, to handle it, to where it doesn't control us. And that really is what the last part of this is about, the promise Anxiety is a control issue. Fundamentally, it's a faith issue as to who should be doing the controlling. Get back to that in a second, but note here what he promises. Well, actually note what he doesn't promise first in, at the end of this passage in verse 7. He doesn't go right into it and says, and God will answer your prayers just the way you ask for them and everything's going to be great. No, he promises something even better, the peace of God. Because God may well have his own answer for our anxieties, one of which I'm sure is to strengthen our faith by bringing them to God. And they may be ways that we had no idea about. And when later on, we'll be able to say, Lord, I'm glad you answered my prayer the way you knew best instead of what I do best or thought best. God does not promise to always answer our prayers the way we want, thankfully. But what is promised is wonderful. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What we really need is God's peace to guard our hearts and minds. That word guard is a military term. It makes you think of, of uh, soldiers that are posted to guard a, a place, whether it's a, a base or some other location that they've been assigned to guard, to protect, to keep 
enemies away. Who's your great enemy? The greatest enemy is death, of course. But one of your great enemies is the devil himself. Next week, we're going to talk about how our thought life, our minds are so important in the way that we deal with our lives. But here, he promises peace. That's going to guard us, the peace of God. That's a, a, an internal subjective peace where you know you can't explain it. It passes all understanding. You can't really always put it into words. But it's something that God provides you, a sense of assurance and calm and confidence in what the Lord is doing to protect you from whatever you're concerned about. Peace I leave with you, said Jesus. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And then he says, do not let your heart be troubled. That's John 14, 27. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. What wonderful blessings. What a wonderful thing. And we need that because we are still weak and struggling. Our faith is not always what it ought to be. And so it, it's a, ultimately, as I said, an issue of faith. It's an issue of control. It's an issue of faith in who's going to do the controlling. John Calvin put it well. He said, we are not made of iron. Even though there's a superhero who's the Iron Man, we are not iron people. We are flesh and blood, broken vessels, desperately in need of the help that only God can give us. And friends, the good news is he will give it. Now, one other thing to point out here in this promise. I was saying that anxiety is a, is a control issue. Are you basing your anxiety on the fact that you feel like you need to control the circumstances you're in to work out the way you think they should? And look, that is a real thing. You may have a, someone who's critically ill, maybe from COVID, and you're worried about what's going to happen to them. You may be ending this year financially in a bad way. And you're thinking, how can I solve this problem? How can I manipulate things to, to get this under control? Now, it's not that you aren't responsible. It's not that you shouldn't do something. But where's your ultimate trust? It's a wonderful thing about prayer is we can bring it to God when we feel like there's nothing we can do. That's a sign that you're making progress right there. There's a book written recently by psychologist Joshua Coleman called Rules of Engagement. And in that book, he talks about the growing problem of adult children being estranged from their parents. They can't wait to get out of the house as they come into adulthood. And once they get out of the house, 
or maybe sometime after they've gotten out of the house, they realize, I just need to get away from my parents completely. One of the reasons for that, uh, Dr. Coleman says, is not necessarily the only reason, may not even be a reason every time, but one of the reasons often is the parents sought to be too controlling over their children, as, even as they are now grown and getting out on their own, causing all kinds of anxiety, worrying about their children, but not handling the way they are concerned about their children in the right way. Concern is one thing. Worry is another. Now, these parents probably were, well, he calls them anxious parenting. That's what he says they do, anxious parenting. They're worried about everything. And they let that be known to their child. And so they become what we call helicopter parents. Hovering over their children all the time. Overdoing it in their concern for their child. And that sometimes is one of the reasons why some of these adult kids don't want to have anything to do with their parents now. It's an awful thing, but it's real. And it's an anxiety issue. But guess what? God is in control of everything. We, we freely confess, we believe in the sovereignty of God, and we should. His kingdom rules over all. And when it says all, it means all. Everything that's happening in your life, friend, is marked out by God. And instead of saying, I've got this, or telling a friend, you've got this, and by the way, I do not like that phrase. You've got this. Well, as a Christian, I want to say, no, I don't. But guess what? God's got this. And that's what we cling to. No doubt these are challenging times for us going into 2022. At the end of 2020, we said, glad that year's over with. I hope 2021 will be better. Well, huh. look, it's all good. 2022 is going to be a tough year too because every year's a tough year. Sometimes it's more obvious than others. But it, in a sense, it doesn't matter because God's got this. Rejoice in the Lord, in everything. Give thanks. Come to God in prayer. Bring your request to the Lord. That means very specific needs. Don't just say, give us better health. Get specific. And you're not telling God these things because he doesn't know. You're telling him because you know and you need him to help you. And he will. Through the mercy and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is there for us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we ask you to help us in our weakness. Help us to realize that you are in control of our lives. Help us to realize that we have responsibilities to trust you, to live by your word, and here, as Paul says, to rejoice and to pray. And Lord, we pray that we truly would 
do these things sincerely and seriously. Lord, thank you that our Lord Jesus endured everything and suffered everything and more that we could even imagine for our sakes. And he is there to help us, free us, we pray, of anxiety and worry that can rule over our lives and drown out all of the blessings that you are giving us and help us to deal with those things properly when anxiety does arise in our hearts and minds. Thank you that Jesus will guard us and guard our minds and our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.